It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here on first down and goal from the one is Lavelle Coppage in, untouched for the touchdown. You know, maybe the easiest touchdown Lavelle Coppage has ever scored. Burke looking to throw, looking in the end zone, looking for Denton, and he's got him for the touchdown. Each week, those who know Division Three football break down the weekend. There are several teams that seem to have established themselves as elite, and as we get into this postseason, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty exciting to watch which ones emerge. I don't, I don't think we can say, okay, these two teams are, should definitely meet in the Stag Bowl, or these four teams should definitely meet in the Final Four. I think it's going to be um, you know, pretty exciting five weeks of playoffs. From the record breakers. Well, Pat, he's been a guy who's averaged eight yards a carry all season. He's been a big play guy, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you, you know it's not the first time that we've had occasion to mention Western Connecticut, Connecticut State, Octavius McCoy. It's actually his third consecutive five-touchdown game. To the surprises on the field. One just out of the blue makes me go, what the hell was that, Wartburg? Wow, congratulations. That's a heck of a way to get into the second round. To the surprises off the field. For the first time in a few years, not surprised, maybe pleasantly surprised that uh, all eight at large teams that we projected actually got in. It, it seems to me like the NCAA actually followed their own rules correctly. You even hear from those on the sidelines. You know, we had no idea where the record's at. I knew he was probably over 400. You know, just by coincidence, we were up two scores late, and uh, you know, he, he had a carry to the sideline, and I'm like, let's get him out of here. We don't want to get him hurt for next week. There is only one place to turn to, the only show that covers the entire Division Three football nation. D3Football.com's Around the Nation podcast. I don't think you, you can argue it now, Pat. You have two dominant teams at the top of Division Three. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. And finally, some upsets in Division Three football this week, huh? As St. John's goes to St. Thomas and takes back the Holy Grail as if that game needs a trophy. And then Wisconsin-Stevens Point uh, wins on homecoming against North Central. As Dave mentioned, I'm Pat Coleman, and he's Keith McMillan. And I, uh, I start with uh, where I was, uh, so I'll give you an f- upfront and personal view on Saturday from St. Thomas as St. John's wins that game 24 to 14. Second time this season that uh, Sam Sura has rushed for 200 yards in a game and I talked with him afterwards. Oh, it's great, especially after that loss last week. We definitely needed to come in here playing hard, playing tough, and we knew that these guys would be a really tough team and we just did our jobs and it worked out for us this time. He ended up with 36 carries for 210 yards and a touchdown. And, and Keith, you know, as, as amazing as his season has been, that's a, like I said, he had 281 yards against Wisconsin Eau Claire, uh, 210 on Saturday. But I think most amazingly, frankly, is that, you know, St. Thomas just doesn't give up those kind of rushing yards to anybody, at least not over the course of their run here over the last few years. Well, they've been really solid defensively and, and they're, they're not a team that's going to have these 500, 600 yard offensive games that we've, you know, growing accustomed to seeing across division three, they play a, a little bit, I guess a little closer to the vest and, and they're, they're, you know, solid, don't make mistakes and really, really great on defense. And so, you know, I, I thought the things that stood out from watching this from afar, and obviously you were there, so you have a better view, uh, was, was what you pointed out defensively. And then their possessions late in the game all ended in turnovers. And, and that was, that's very uncharacteristic of a St. Thomas team. Yeah, so Matt O'Connell started at quarterback. You know, he's the guy who uh, led them to the Stag Bowl in 2012. Got hurt last year. Uh, has been, uh, you know, missed a little time. Uh, you know, they they sat him out uh, for long stretches of the game against Lacrosse. He looked really rusty today. Uh, he ended up 
Uh, you know, he started the day uh, five of eight. I think he ended up six of 12 when it was all said and done. Didn't play much in the second half and just was under throwing receivers. Uh, didn't seem like he was making great decisions when he was running the ball either. And just didn't really look like the guy who uh, who had been so good for them in in 2012. Um, they brought in John Gould. He's the backup who's gotten some time while O'Connell was hurt. Um Gould was 12 of 20 passing. He did throw two interceptions. He did fumble the ball away in the fourth quarter. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just didn't look like a St. Thomas team on offense that we expected uh, or that we've seen in the past. And it didn't look like a St. Thomas team on defense either, really. Um, I don't remember if it was on a previous podcast or you and I just chatting or we were talking about, uh, you know, things for kickoff. But, you know, when you graduate – all those linebackers, so many, uh, you know, two years in a row, I think they graduated just a huge crop of linebackers. At some point, you know, you're you're not going to be able to replace them right away with guys who are, you know, national All-American type level. And they really seemed like that on Saturday, Keith. Um, you know, they they lack, you know, speed in pursuit of the quarterback, which had been uh, huge for them in previous years. And they, they just never really got to, to Nick Martin. And boy, they sure didn't get to Sam Sura on Saturday either. Yeah, well, you 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 mentioned the the thing about the the linebackers and having that depth, and that's one of the things that we've seen, you know, Mount Union and Whitewater and teams like uh, Wesley and Mary Harden Baylor, those elite teams constantly be able to replace and replenish, and it's and and they make it look easy to a degree, but it's not. Pat, you you pointed out, um, you know, you kind of just can't necessarily count on having a group even though as you recruit you know you the the, the coaches are trying to recruit a group to, to follow each group and uh, sometimes that leadership whether guys are out of the program or guys get injured or, or whatever the case may be it, it's really hard to to always have a, a group coming in behind a, a bunch of guys who've played a long time and uh, and even as you do, those guys don't have experience. And so especially early in seasons like this, you know, in the month of September, you see uh, teams, you know, they're either rusty, shaky. They, they don't they haven't quite figured out who they are yet defensively. And, and that, that can come back to bite teams uh, at this point in the season. Yeah. And I think uh, having St. John's having a rivalry game uh, against, you know, not just a rival, but a more than competent rival, shall we say, uh, it hasn't helped St. Thomas this year either. They just seem like, you know, if, if this game were played in week seven, maybe it would be different. But right now, I just don't have it all put together. And, you know, what's interesting about that now is that you got St. John's is kind of back three and uh, three and one right now. And you take a look at the Mayak standings. Bethel's already lost a game. St. Thomas now lost a game. And Johnny's lost a game at the top is uh, Concordia Moorhead at 4-0 and Gustavus. But there's still so many big battles yet to come in this conference. But but it's just interesting, I think, to see, you know, St. Thomas kind of, they're like the sixth team down in the standings today. You know, when you uh, when you think about last week, remember St. John's lost to Concordia Moorhead. Just keep in the back of your mind that uh, the Johnnies were without their starting quarterback who sat out a week because of a concussion. So just kind of keep that in mind as the season goes along. If you... Uh, if you look at St. John's and think of them as three and one and, uh, you know, just think about maybe not just they not that they, uh, you know, uh, because you know, playing Concordia Moorhead, obviously that has been a huge competitive rivalry in past years as well over, gosh, I think almost the past decade, at least there've been a lot of back and forth games. I'm just saying that, you know, when you look at how bad they were offensively that Saturday when they held the ball for under 20 minutes that's part of the reason it's uh, whether they would have won that game against the Cobbers or not is another story. And then of course 
So that's one upset. If you call that an upset or not, um, because it's a big rivalry game and stuff happens and, you know, don't really know how good St. Thomas is. And we know a little bit less, I guess. But one, uh, certainly a big upset that happened, undeniable to think of it as anything else, really. When uh, Stevens Point defeated North Central on Saturday, the fifth ranked North Central Cardinals go down at Stevens Point. And here's two things that kind of immediately came to mind, Keith. One is that hearing from people all across the Midwest, and it was hard to deny this, is that uh, the CCIW just didn't look like uh, it was, uh, you know, in in step in line with it had the way it had been in previous years as one of the top five or four power conferences uh, clearly had taken a step back, and we really saw that today. But the other thing is, you know, I saw Ryan Tips, I think, on Twitter um, say something about, you know, the the WIAC just didn't look like it had a signature win this year uh, in, you know, other than what Whitewater does on a, on a weekly basis. And that certainly happened on Saturday. Yeah. And, and it was done, I guess, in a, in a signature way. If you think about uh, not just uh, Stevens point getting out in front in that game, but being, you know, fairly, I guess a uh, fairly dominant defensively. I don't know if dominant, it's probably not the right word, but, um, but opportunistic maybe uh, defensively. They had three fourth down stops in that game. They had four uh, interceptions. So, you know, as North Central's kind of trying to storm back, and remember, this is a a North Central team that, in my opinion, I think was built for last season. That was their their Stag Bowl team, and now they're they're because it's an elite program. They're sort of reloading, uh, but starting over with with a fresh quarterback and and uh, and key players in some positions, and then you know really experienced players in uh, in other places, in, including you know at running back and at wide receiver. But uh, as they try to storm back into that game, you know, kind of every time they they were. were Closing the gap on Stevens Point, uh, the, the pointers came up with a big play, and that's that's a mark of a a, a team, I guess that that's you know playing really well and uh, and bi- is building confidence as the game goes on. You get one big play, whether it's an interception or a fourth down stop, and those sort of you know build your momentum on the sideline, and guys get uh, you know you start to believe, hey, these guys they they might be ranked number five, but we can actually beat them, and 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 I feel like those big momentum plays sometimes beget other momentum plays uh, in big games like that. Uh, the the four interceptions, uh, Tyler Dickin, three of 10 with one of them. Uh, Dylan Warden, six of 16 with the other three. They were sacked four times. You know, I mean, obviously, Tyler Dickin's a familiar name. He'd gotten some snaps a couple years ago, but, you know, the at North Central wasn't the elite team. that you, As you said it, yeah, they, the team that was going to go to the Stag Bowl for them if they had one was that 2013 squad. And then big reason was Spencer Stanek at quarterback. He had a, a great uh, rapport with the receivers, including Peter Sorensen. Um, and, and, you know, just having been at that game, the semifinal game at Mount Union last season, you know, even the, even times in that game when North Central was down, they would, they, they every time Mount Union scored, North Central had to an answer for it. And offensively, they were a very, very sound team last season, and uh, th- this year, you know, it's it, you, it's just different when you when you don't have um, the experience at at quarterback. Uh, you know, it's 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 not the same. I thought it was uh, it was kind of interesting too that uh, Stevens Point won this game really uh, without running the ball hardly at all. They uh, they I mean they tried to run it, they just didn't have any didn't have any success. They uh, thirty seven attempts for forty six yards. So North Central defensively, at least up front, uh, was able to to you know 
push Stevens point around and uh, Stevens point was able to, uh, to, to make the plays in the in opportunistic way to, uh, to, to still pull out the game, even though they're out gained. Yeah. Even if you take the three sacks of Kyle Lar- Larson out of the rushing total and you calculated uh, the rushing total in an NFL manner, right? You would still only have, I think they see about 82 yards rushing on uh, 34 snaps, which is not a particularly high number either. The interesting thing about Stevens Point is now, you know, these guys are three and zero. They go to River Falls. They host Wisconsin Eau Claire. Um, you know, I guess Eau Claire now looks like it's a you know a potential trap game. Obviously, two weeks down the road, but then they could be five and zero going into Platteville on October 18th. Yeah, I, I think the WIAC is is shaken up a little bit now. Um, you got Oshkosh way down at the bottom too. They're they're zero and three, but they haven't played any any other WIAC teams, so we don't really they haven't even played any other D three teams, so we don't really know what to make of them. But they were they would be a you know usually I, I don't know usually, but the past couple seasons the top three have been uh, Whitewater, Platteville, and Oshkosh, and you, you figure they they may be the top three again. Now we have no idea what, what to expect out of Oshkosh. We've seen Stevens Point beat a, uh, a top 10 team. We've seen Whitewater be its pretty traditional dominant self right now, outscoring opponents 163 to 20. They've only given up 20 points. Uh, and Platteville up and down. So, uh, so you know, I, we don't know what to make out of the WIAC. We don't know what to make out of the MIAC now. And I think there's going to be, uh, later in the podcast, we'll talk about at least one other conference that's sort of... Uh, unexpectedly shifting and i think you know at this point four weeks into the season that's kind of exciting i just want to throw wisconsin lacrosse into that mix of uh, who knows what to make of them in the uh, wic also because they wanted to buke then they got their uh, scoreboard handed to them at st thomas in week two and then they lost but they looked not awful against uh, mary harden baylor last week they had a bye and they go to uh, whitewater next week and they host oshkosh so we'll find out about them pretty soon uh i wanted to hand out my game ball to matt workman he's a linebacker for st john's uh he had three sacks and a forced fumble for the johnnies all of them in the fourth quarter that fourth quarter in which uh st thomas got uh basically nothing positive accomplished yeah i'll I'll give game balls to a couple of defenses that played great uh, especially down the stretch. We talked about the Stevens Point defense, the uh, the four interceptions, the three stops on fourth down, especially a key fourth down stop when uh, when North Central was driving with a chance to tie that game. So you give one game ball to the Pointers defense. And how about St. Norbert's defense in the fourth quarter? St. Norbert trailed Illinois College 27-6 at the beginning of the fourth quarter and got got off the field three and out three times in a row and then had a uh, Illinois College finally puts together a drive um, of about six or seven plays and then St. Norbert came up with a fourth down stop there too. So I imagine that had been that and there were tons of great games on Saturday across the country, but I imagine that may have been the, the best one to be at, you know, because for the first three quarters, you just, ugh. We're getting killed. We're getting our doors blown off. This is terrible. This is a team we hate losing to. It's 27-6. And then all of a sudden, you know, one good thing happens. The offense makes a play. Then the defense makes some plays. And then all of a sudden, uh, St. Norbert got that ball rolling downhill. And so I, I give the game ball to that defense, I, probably as well as the offense. But but certainly, uh, Stevens Point, St. Norbert defense, I thought uh, sometimes we overlook them. We get obsessed with big numbers. And we forget that uh, that that the lack of big numbers is just as important for winning. Can't argue with you there, but I'm going to go with some uh, big numbers anyway. I'm thinking about 
uh, team that's on the rise. You, we just kind of barely touched on, uh, you know, Gustavus Adolphus. You know, we talked about this before the season started. They have an opportunity, a, a real possibility of going six and zero, and they got through the harder four games. Uh, starting off 4-0, 4-0 after a 55-31 win at Augsburg on uh, homecoming at Augsburg. And uh, Mitch Hendricks, the quarterback, has just been crazy this year. Uh, he completed his first 18 passes on Saturday, and he ended up a mere, oh, let's see, 33 for 39 passing on the uh, afternoon, 504 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, you know, so over on the uh, this is him on the course of the season now. 20 touchdowns to one interception, 79% completions, 396 yards a game. And uh, they have St. Olaf and Carlton for game five and game six. So they get that out of the way, and then they run the gauntlet to end it with uh, these teams in no particular order, but St. Thomas, Bethel, St. John's, and Concordia Moorhead. I'm going to go with, uh, with with Utica as, Ooh, the team on the, uh, as a team on the rise. Uh, I think... The Empire Eight right now is a little bit topsy turvy. We got Salisbury down at the bottom there. We got uh, you know St. John Fisher and Ithaca traditionally at the top. We're not not you know Alfred uh, lost to Ithaca on Saturday, so um, there's a little bit of upheaval there. I thought Brockport State would have been a little bit more of a uh, of a challenger, but but Utica beat them 42-28 on Saturday. Now here's the thing with uh, with the Pioneers. They've won uh, their first four games, or 4 0. They've beaten Misericordia, Union, Frostburg State, Brockport State. So, really, Brockport, the, the first eye opening win of that group. Here's their next four, though at Ithaca, at Salisbury, against St. John Fisher, at Buff State. And I'll throw the fifth one in there, too. They, they, they have to go to Alfred. So we'll find out quickly if if this is just a team on the rise, a serious team on the rise, or or that was just a one-week thing with the Brockport. But I think the whole Empire 8 now is, is a little jumbled, and that's uh, that, I think that's going to make it fun to watch. So next week, those teams play. Do they play for the Utaka Jug or the Ithaca Ith, Jug? I, I almost can't even say that improperly. Utica yeah. Ithaca is what I'm getting at. I, I, I follow what you're what you're doing there, and I, I guess if we're while we're over here, I should mention uh, kind of an equally surprising uh, victory by uh, by Buff State on Saturday. Buffalo State um, hosted Salisbury. They won thirty two twenty eight. Now they were coming off a loss to Alfred, so now you, you know Buff State, Brockport State, Alfred, Salisbury. Are they the uh, Utica? Are they? Is this the middle group of the Empire Eight? You know you have. That many teams all chasing St. John Fisher and Ithaca. I think it's going to be a fun um, October and early November in this conference because we're going to every, you know, coaches love to say this. Every game's important in the conference. And in some cases it is. And in some some cases, you know, you know, certain teams are going to win 63-7 or 55-0 every week. Um, but this is a conference where I think just about every game, you know, maybe with the exception of Frostburg State is going to be a huge game. Buff stayed in that game down 21-10 and then down 28-17 in the fourth quarter before they come back to win 32-28, a theme which we will probably repeat more later on in the podcast. Um, looking for teams going in the opposite direction. I think there's some, you know, obviously there's some teams that lost on Saturday, uh, but I, I want to point out uh, Heidelberg. Heidelberg didn't lose, uh, don't get me wrong. The 23rd-ranked student princes playing offense, in a top 10 manner, 
playing defense like a team in the bottom 100 or so, and I think that might cost them sooner or later. Uh, they're not going to be on my ballot this week. So they won. I almost said they lost. See, that's how I feel. Uh, they they did beat Ohio Northern 69-52. to 52, um, And, you know, in the process, they gave up, what, 650 yards of total offense. And, um, you know, I get, you know, Credit to the Heidelberg offense because they uh, struck quickly. Literally, they didn't have a single possession all day where they held the ball for more than 208, and they scored on 11 of their 13 possessions other than the kneel down at the end of the game. But um, you've given up 52 points to Ohio Northern. I don't know what you're giving up to Mount Union. And, you know, maybe there's somebody else in the in the OAC who can get up and bite them too. Yeah, I mean that that is a pretty impressive stat to to have uh you know score of 11 13 11 of 13 possessions, you know, no drive lasting uh much more than than 2 minutes, but you're right Pat, the defense you also have to to remember you know, a couple weeks ago uh John Carroll ran up the score on them as well. So yeah, defensively they they have some issues right now. Um I am going to go um North Central and I know that's that's kind of cherry picking because that's the highest ranked team that lost, but I think that um, that's going to be the, the the team that is most confusing to rank and is going to maybe jumble up the top 25 the most now because now we have North Central uh, that's lost. We have Illinois Wesleyan that's lost. Wheaton kind of hasn't really played a, a very good team yet. And, you know, very, very few weeks since we've been doing a top 25 has, a, has there not been a CCIW team that's very clearly deserved a spot. Uh, very high in the top 25, and right now I don't. I just don't know which which CCIW team, if any, uh, is deserving of being in the top, you know, 15 or 20. And it's kind of hard to get get your mind around that to say this conference, which always produces a top team, right now doesn't have one. So I think North Central they'll probably drop. Um, you know, I, I think people give them the benefit of the doubt, so maybe they won't drop. But you know, to 10 or 12 or something like that. St. St. Thomas might drop to about. 15 or 16 when uh, when the poll comes out and and on uh, most of you will have seen the poll by the time you you hear the podcast but um I, I think for me personally that's gonna be I, I just have no idea what I'm gonna do with the uh, with the CCIW teams right now yeah I, I don't know what I'm gonna do with them I don't know what I'm gonna do with St Thomas either though I mean maybe it's um, you know the misfortune of having seen them in person. Um, but I just don't know where the Tommies go on my ballot. And, you know, if it was at Bethel, Concordia, St. Thomas, in which case, you know, St. Thomas has to be pretty far down the list. And, and of course, St. John's has to be considered as well. So I had St. Thomas 13th on my ballot last week. Um, and there is a possibility, although I'm already committing to dropping out Heidelberg, uh, there's a possibility St. Thomas doesn't even end up on my ballot, although I have to admit, I'm not sure who I would replace them with because I have, um, you know, I have a couple of teams to shuffle. But in, in all honesty, I don't know. I don't know where St. Thomas ends up after this. And just because they didn't look like a team, it they gave up. It <clears throat> It's just mind boggling. They, they gave up 200 yards rushing as a team, let alone to an individual. Well, I, I think the other thing about St. Thomas is you, you you look at the other two results and and remember now their their first three games have all been at home uh, and they had a bye week in there too so the, you know they should have in theory they were they were you know getting right uh, getting healthy for St. John's and instead they uh, they lost by ten uh, but you have the other two results where they kind of barely 
hung on and beat Wisconsin Eau Claire, and then they, they just drilled Wisconsin lacrosse 46-0. So, you know, uh, are they a top 25 team? Because they, they've played top competition, at least, you know, their, their whole schedule is YAC and MIAC teams, or, uh, or, or are they not because, you know, they, they were pretty shaky on Saturday? Yeah, and that'll be the question that I'll definitely be wrestling with. Here after this podcast is in the can and I go on to the next part of the Saturday evening, which is my top 25 ballot. Off the beaten path, I thought I would go with uh, Marcus Morast of uh, Christopher Newport University, the quarterback. And thanks to uh, his teammate on Twitter who pointed this out to us. Uh, he was just 16 to 31 passing for 310 yards, but he threw for four TDs and he ran for another 191 yards and a couple more scores including the clinching TD in the second overtime as uh, CNU beat Methodist 51-48. As a passer, he didn't outduel Max Reber, but he got the job done at 191 yards rushing for a guy who also threw for 310 is a pretty good combination. I, I dare say that those are uh, Ayrton Scott-like numbers. If you uh, think of uh, the Augsburg quarterback who uh, threw for 346 today, but ran for just 94. Yeah, I mean that's pretty amazing. The the that Reber, uh, four hundred eighty yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, two player, two he had two players who he threw three touchdown passes to that day, and uh, w- wasn't able to to come out with the victory because you know Morass uh, stole the show, uh, especially going out with the the twenty five yard touchdown run on the first play of the second overtime. Methodist had just kicked the field goal, and then uh, that that must have been a pretty amazing scene to see. I imagine. I guess I'm hinting. Can yeah. I nudge? Can I nudge the microphone? That should be a um, play of the week candidate. You know, a, a one a one play game ender. Uh, must have been an amazing run. For me, uh, also probably some amazing running uh, off the beaten path. And and this is way up in Somerville slash Medford, Massachusetts. Um, Tufts. Remember, they had that 31 game losing streak. They got a new streak going now. They're two and zero. And and big reason for that is uh, Zach Trous. A, uh, a, I guess, running back who uh, took a kickback 82 yards after Bates had taken the lead in that game. I think Bates went up 27, 26 or 29, 26, something like that. Uh, so so he takes the kickback 82 yards. Uh, Tusk defense comes out, knocks Bates back 16 yards, goes three and out. Bates punts to Trouse. He catches it uh, at the 49-yard line, takes a punt back. So in like a two-minute, two-second span, he took a kick and a punt back, and I thought uh, that was something that, that deserved to be pointed out. We didn't want to lose highlights like that. It's pretty surprising. I mean, Tufts, you know, uh, there's a possibility that they could have gone 0-8 this year once again, and, uh, you know, they get that near win. Uh, not a near win. It was an actual win, Patrick. Uh, they get that close win against Hamilton last week, and then they uh, come up, and as you said, they have uh, two wins in a row. Pretty surprising. Uh, surprising for me, I think I have to take East Texas Baptist over Millsaps. I puzzled over this game quite a bit. I just wanted to make sure that somebody didn't reverse the home and away team in the box score, a game in which uh, ETBU beat Millsaps 68-15. So this is you know East Texas Baptist who gave up 98, granted to a pretty good Division II squad in Week 1, and then hung 68 in Week 4. Um, you know, I get that Mike Bartlemy didn't play for Millsaps. Uh, he's their uh, star running back, but that's still a long way from competitive. And, and I just want to point out 
for those of you who read Kickoff, because I wrote the American Southwest Conference, we told you about Stephen Alfred, a uh, wide receiver who transferred in. He had five catches for 115 yards and a touchdown. And Josh Warbington, the guy who we talked about, a quarterback, he was 20-24 passing. Yeah, I think that was one of the, the more surprising um wins on on saturday i think i sent a tweet when i saw the score just whoa that was the you know because you know we had talked briefly about east texas baptist before and and uh you know Millsaps, of course had been in the playoff picture last season and you just you don't expect that that um the gap between the two teams and the score um steven's point beating north central i thought was a huge uh what was a huge surprise as well on Saturday. Boy, if I, I guess if I had to settle on a different one, given that those those two are also uh, also out there. How about Steven Sun? Yeah. Uh, not not necessarily a shock, I guess, that they beat Albright. Although that is that's a mild surprise because Albright's generally a pretty decent uh, upper middle part of the the MAC program. But uh, but that team going to four and zero now. Um, again, you know, you talk you love to talk about the year four in a program but I thought also the not just that they won but the way they won barely had any offense but uh, but was able to win 13-6 Steven's son son no no <laughs> well, that was pretty that was pretty impressive <laughs> actually, actually from you that's what I, yeah exactly well see that's what I thought you were saying when you started to started to say it if only was, if only Stevens also had football the way Stevenson has football Steven well I was trying to differentiate from Steven's point even so, there are more Stevens than you can shake a stick at, although not nearly as many as there are Concordias. Yeah, it's not often you see a uh, team where the uh, a game where the line for the winning quarterback is four for eighteen passing for thirty three yards and an interception. Uh, kind of on the opposite end of that, uh, I think about Aaron Wilmer also was staying in the MAC for this. He averaged nineteen yards of completion for Del Val as they won the Battle of the Valleys. Del Val over Lab Val fifty nine forty one. So Rushy Bailey, six catches for 186 yards and four touchdowns. So you do the math. He averages 31 yards a catch. And, uh, you know, Delaware Valley, again, off to another uh, with another uh, big win and, you know, another game in which maybe the defense wasn't the best it could have been. Well, uh, Buena Vista defense wasn't too good the first uh, couple weeks of the season. They were outscored in losses. Uh, to Platteville and Concordia Moorhead. They're outscored 93-12 their first couple of weeks. Uh, so you figure your team, you know, you just want to get a win. You, they're, they're hoping you're not, they're not completely demoralized. And uh, they went nuts on Saturday. Buena Vista beats Waldorf 55-28. But here's the stat that, that stood out, and this is, this is crazy. They ran 79 plays, and they had 38 first downs. That's literally almost half the plays <laughs> were, were, went for a first down. Good use of the word literally. Thank you. Yeah, it wasn't figuratively, right? No, it wasn't. It was actual literal, actual literally. I was looking through triple take, and um, I, th- I think an Alfred game was a pretty good game. I think you, yeah. I think you got that. Yeah, it worked out. I mean, it was, you know, I think the obvious game of the week this Saturday was going to be Johnny Tommy. And uh, so Ryan and I were, were you know, just trying to do something different. And, and his pick was not a bad pick either to, to no, pick Johns, no. Johns Hopkins Muhlenberg. And uh, that, that Ithaca Alfred game, another one kind of like the Stevenson game where um, points were hard to come by. Uh, but that's now two weeks in a row that, that um, Ithaca has, has taken a, a, a team 
that had been having plenty of success offensively last week. It was it was Hartwick that they beat up on this week. Alfred came into the game scoring, you know, 34, 34 and 29 points. And then they held them to six. Well, some other uh, picks that were Im- impressive in triple take, Pat, we got to give you credit for uh, for for taking Johnny Tommy, of course, the as a native Minnesotan, it was sort of your duty to pick that game. Um, but uh, but it turned out to be well, well worth the, the game of the week. Uh, uh, status, especially with uh, with with St. John's pulling the upset there, but I also liked uh, that you picked Chapman at Whitworth as a uh, as a surprisingly close game, and uh, that game was I guess it, it was close at some points. You know, fourteen uh, thirteen at the end of the first quarter, and then uh, Chapman kind of went nuts uh, early in the third, scoring three three times in the third quarter, and then and then Whitworth tried to make it look a little close there at the end. But I, I thought even just the fact that we were shining the spotlight on that game uh, was a good thing because uh, Whitworth is you know like the fourth most prominent team in the uh, in the Northwest Conference at this point, and then uh, and then Chapman. Still kind of don't know what to make of them. I think maybe they're the, the best team in the sky right now. Um, and, and the more they get it done against uh, against teams with uh, with good resumes, whether it be Linfield, uh, that, that loss early in the season, 21-14. And this, a very impressive win on Saturday, 49-34 against Whitworth. So. We'll find out for sure, I suppose, by about until week 10 when uh, Chapman goes to uh, Redlands. The, uh, the Johnny Tommy game, by the way, 12,483 was the official attendance, um, and I would venture a guess to say about 40% of them or so went home happy because it was a, uh, a pretty big uh, St. John's contingent making the trip down from Collegeville for that one. Hey, you know, at least in triple take, all of my games got played. I, I can't say the same for either of you other guys. Chicago was on my radar, and, of course, that game um, got canceled when... Pacific's flight got canceled, yeah, which is I sort see. of you know D three problems hashtag right. It's uh, except that I guess this wasn't a this wasn't a, a D three issue. There was a, a a fire right at at the control center in uh, in the Chicago area. So they even though they were flying into Midway and not O'Hare, uh, their flight got canceled and and wasn't able to they weren't able to rebook. And it wasn't like um, if say. A Wisconsin team had had their flight canceled. They'd find a way to drive down. Uh, but, you know, there was just no way for Pacific to get out there. So yeah, that triple take. Uh, look, it wasn't a pick, but it, it actually could couldn't be on my radar at all because that game didn't get played. And then uh, Ryan earlier picked Concordia, Chicago. Correct. I I think he picked a game that just wasn't happening. Uh, oh, Kalamazoo. The, K- the, the, Kal- the Kalamazoo game. Yeah, he picked Kalamazoo over Benedictine. So we just copy and paste that into next week's triple take. We'll be good because that's when that game is scheduled to be played. Uh, a side note. So, you know, we talked about Maranatha Baptist. Again, I think I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but, you know, it's a, a team that had only 30 players when camp started. You just kind of knew there was going to be an issue. And uh, sure enough, uh, they had to cancel their game against Concordia Chicago this week. Um, you know, just as a reminder for those of you who are new to the NCAA, this is a no contest. It is not a forfeit because we don't forfeit games if they never start. Um, so, you know, but uh, Maranatha, man, I, you know, when you start the season with 30 players and you're canceling a game in week four, it's going to be a long year. That's true. And it kind of reminds me of, uh, of, you know, gosh, almost 10 years ago now where Lewis and Clark played an abbreviated season because they, they were concerned they weren't going to have enough 
um, yeah. people to to finish the season. So they they uh, they kept just four games and they canceled the I believe they right they canceled the conference schedule. Yep. And they they played the non conference games, which seems seems backwards, but that's uh, that's way in the past. Um, well, and, you, know, you go even further. Preserve, you could go even their program. You could go even further back to Mount Ida. I think in their first year they oh. had a decent success, and then in the second year they just blew up games left and right. I think they canceled the game against Wesley and maybe Brockport State. I think they canceled two games one year. It was just a uh, one of those things for all those teams that have you know 240 players or 205. There's Maranatha Baptist Bible College. Uh, university there's i think it's a university now which had just 30 players to start the season and who knows how many they could have suited up if they had played at concordia chicago on saturday what's interesting though is they do have a some kind of commitment to football because they're you know remember principia had this problem and then they just gave up on football after a while they said look this this isn't going to work and that, that was sort of a similar uh school to maranatha yeah, that is impressive, uh, to be honest. Um, the Maranatha, as a you know, the entire athletic department uh, got kicked out of the Northern Athletics Conference a few years ago. Uh, this is the second year that Maranatha's had to play an independent schedule. You know, I was concerned that they weren't even going to get a schedule this year. It didn't, one of those games, they actually have you know six Division three opponents. Um, they have not canceled the game for next week. That is when they host Trinity Bible, and it's, uh, I would have to say, their best shot at getting a W this year. Yeah, it's only 28 miles from Watertown, Wisconsin to Whitewater, Wisconsin, but man, it is just light years in terms of distance between the programs at the top and bottom end of Division Three. Let's go into the lightning round. Um, let's see. Uh, Carroll goes to 4-0. Lamont Williams, 120 yards, rushing three touchdowns. You're if you would just admit to us that he was going to play in the preseason, we could have uh, had, you know, him on a preseason team of some sort. That would have been great. I was impressed by, uh, by Saturday. There were so many fourth quarter rallies and they weren't just like, uh, we were down three and we, you know, scored a touchdown and won. They were like rallies from down 10, down 12. We mentioned a couple of them earlier. Um, St. Norbert, we'd mentioned defiance. Yeah, they won their first game by rallying from down 12 to uh, to beat Hanover, which is now Hanover's now 0-4. Uh, Beloit did the same thing, uh, rallying from from double digits down in the fourth quarter, and uh, they had a, a kind of a I think now the, all the games are starting to run together from from Saturday, but I'm pretty sure they they won by a field goal. Yeah, and Emory and Henry wasn't down 10 in the fourth quarter, but they were down 20 to nothing for most of the second quarter and came roaring back against Sewanee. Uh, how about Knox? Just five wins in the previous five seasons, a lot of them against Eureka, and they are now 2-1 and one on the year. And, and one of the wins is against Eureka, but on Saturday they beat Lawrence. And uh, it, it, it's always we, – we saw this kind of similar phenomenon with, uh, with North Park where they – they would start off with a couple of wins. You think, oh, maybe this is the season they turn it around. So uh, we kind of want to keep an eye on on Knox because they have uh, they have some some games coming up here uh, that that are you know potentially winnable ones. But they have uh, they have you know Lawrence. That, that's probably the easy Lawrence and, and Eureka are probably the easiest too. Damon Tomeo in uh, I think it's his second year or if it's his third year. I think it's his second year as head coach at Knox. He was a Division II head coach before, uh, so yeah, maybe they have a shot at uh, you know, getting a little better. McAllister next week, and, and uh, I believe McAllister was a was a winner this Saturday. 
against Grinnell. So they're also two and one. So who knows anymore? Yeah, that, that that's half the fun. I think Max got a chance at going five hundred in that conference. That would be it'll be fun to watch. You got a. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. They have you know, Beloit and uh, Lawrence still. You know, St. Nor- Norbert's not till the very end of the season. How about uh, this one? Kevin, uh, Kevin Burke threw five touchdown passes on Saturday. Eh, that's not interesting, right? Mountain Union celebrating its uh, its 100th um, anniversary of its stadium. They they got a new historical plaque, one of those ones you see when you, you pull up by the side of the road. It has a bunch of uh, interesting facts on it, stuff I didn't know. And, it, you know, we've been to that stadium probably 10 times each. Um, but I thought the most interesting thing about Kevin Burke's five touchdown passes, uh, four of them went to former quarterbacks, like guys who, who used to be his backups or, or maybe still are currently his backup in, uh, in Roman Namdar and, uh, and, and Tori Scott. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see uh, either one of those uh, guys that he threw touchdowns to on Saturday take snaps at some point in the uh, future because, yeah, yeah, they're, uh, those that's some pretty talented guys who are now playing wide receiver because, yeah, Kevin Burke's got that touchdown, that uh, quarterback spot. Yeah, that touchdown spot is the same thing. Uh, locked up pretty much for a while. Uh, how about Springfield on Saturday? I'm just running down like the number of guys who got carries for them. First of all, nine guys got carries. Uh, three guys rushed for 80 yards or more. Jonathan Marrero, 20 for 190. That's 9.5 yards a pop. Keith Rodman, 10.9 yards a pop, 164 uh, and 15 carries as they defeated Rochester, 63-27. Just the raw number here, 532 yards rushing compared to 62 for the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty nuts. Uh, they had a they had a 36-point second quarter. You know, you mentioned tons of guys getting carries. Same story for Mary Harden Baylor. They uh, they scored the first 59 points on the way to a 73-7 win against Kane. Remember when when that series? Uh, <laughs> that's first, what I was gonna say. Yes. Yeah, when that series first was booked, we thought, man, that's gonna be a pretty good game, and that was uh, maybe. I don't know if it was the same year that Kane made the playoffs or was coming off a playoff, but it was the it was AJ Roke team, I guess. Is that am I saying his last name right? It was Roke Rock. Sure, I have no uh, idea. Okay, no yes. idea. They, but anyway, Kane had had some you know some pretty good teams, and we figured this will be a decent series, kind of a top half of the NJAC team against the top uh, and uh, ASC team. And of course, Kane is is no longer really one of the better teams in the NJAC, and and now this. This series has just turned into a, a ridiculous sort of blowout. It was uh, 52-0 at the half. 12 backs got carries. Mary Harden-Baylor had 35 first downs. Um, 15 of 20 on third and fourth down. Kane was just 3 of 15 on, on third and fourth down. Kind of a, a blowout every which way you look at it. Not quite Springfield rushing numbers here, 352 to 65. But uh, but just you know what looked like a good series turned out to be actually a, a pretty... Um, not, I don't, I'm not even a terrible series. Just Mary Harden Baylor's not even necessarily getting, getting a, a, a good challenge. So it, Mary Harden Baylor may be that good. It may not be Kane's fault at all. Yeah, and that's the pitfalls of scheduling, right? You don't know who you're going to get two or three years out unless you're playing somebody who's, you know, Mount Union or Whitewater or Mary Harden Baylor. You probably get a pretty good idea who they're going to be. Um, how about Cortland State on Saturday? They lost, but it looks like they didn't at least shoot themselves in the foot at the end. Yeah, just a, a regular old we lost, you know, no no punter running backwards trying to kill the clock and putting the other team in field goal range, no 
penalty on the one yard line in the last 10 seconds. I, I guess I have to get off the, the Cortland State bandwagon. I, I thought they were going to be good this year. They had 20 starters back from a six and five team that had lost a few close games. And I thought, uh, you know, those are the kind of teams that uh, that go from six and five to nine and two or whatever. But uh, it doesn't look like it's happening for Cortland State. And yet they could still salvage their season because they've got Rowan coming up. So who knows? Uh, let's see. Uh, Eureka touchdown, 11 seconds left to beat Minnesota Morris. Lagrange with a huge last minute drive to uh, win on Saturday. Yeah, 13 plays, 98 yards. Graham Craig went in from five yards out to beat Averett by one. And uh, that's a team that's an interesting team now in the USA South. Uh, we'll, we'll have to watch. There's a, there are a couple of high flyers, you know, th- yeah. teams that can re- really put up some points. So I, I think, you know, between Huntingdon, LaGrange, Methodist, and, and Christopher Newport now, uh, the USA South actually could be uh, pretty interesting to watch. I have to say I'm still looking at that flight for uh, Methodist-LaGrange coming up in week... That would be 7, October 18th. That could be a thing. I just, you know, you're the defensive guy, I'm the offensive guy. I have to play that. Uh, I have to play that dichotomy to the hilt, right? Yeah, well, that game got like 1,200 passing yards written all over it. <laughs> exactly. And you know it's going to be 17-14 uh, in a driving downpour or something, right? That's, oh, well, that's how only, it goes. only if you book the ticket, it ends up being that. <laughs> if you don't go, there'll be 1,200 passing yards. Damn, that's right. You know, we got to go through and uh, not necessarily do the math or just look at all the total offense that's been going on in uh, Division Three this year. It you know obviously there was a lot last year, um, you know a lot of it uh, the epicenter in uh, the state of Texas or thereabouts. But it seems like we've just had a, some huge offensive numbers again this year as well. Yeah, and you know it gets to the point where Pat, as as you and I, as we prepare for the podcast, you know we'll look through games and and you know I'm looking at any close scores. Um, but you know we're we're reading you know matchups that are interesting. But after the first three or four times you see 600 total yards, it's kind of it's not as uh, amazing as it as it uh, as it was earlier. Here's the one I, I wanted to point out though. If we're talking about crazy crazy offensive numbers, Western New England <laughs> beat uh, beat Maine Maritime 80 to 16 on Saturday, and uh, somehow we didn't we didn't pull our crazy stat from this game, but. Um, I had just pulled up that box score too. Well, the the, the cool thing about that is uh, perfect balance for Western New England. Somehow scored eighty points uh, with three hundred eighty-five yards passing and three hundred eighty-four yards rushing. And I, you know, I, I'd have to go back and look through the play-by-play to see if they took a kneel down at the end of the game. Oh, true. They, they may have. <laughs> they may have had the magic, you know, three eighty-five each. I think we look ahead. You got a couple of couple of really huge ones. Conference rivalries. Um, Concordia Moorhead Bethel looks great now all of a sudden. And, you know, Louisiana College has a big game at Wesley. And, and first, I'm going to draw a, a, a bracket between Concordia Moorhead and Louisiana College because I think I feel like those are two teams that were kind of been on the brink for so many years. Like, they're always good. They're always seven, eight wins. But for some reason, they just can't get over the hump. And now you got Concordia Moorhead 4-0. They're going to Bethel and uh, have a chance to exercise some demons. Other games that uh, we mentioned already that uh, Whitewater's hosting lacrosse. Uh, Linfield PLU, that's this Saturday. Uh, John Carroll faced Ohio Northern. Uh, that's coming up this Saturday. I, I don't think uh, Ohio Northern is going to score 52 points next week, the way John Carroll's been playing defense. You know, uh, Salisbury at St. John Fisher, you, we, we already talked about how crazy the Empire 8 is. Uh, we, have to, I keep, we have to admit that Salisbury's not as good uh, as they looked in the preseason. 
Sure. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. And, you know, sometimes we kind of give teams benefit of the doubt off of uh, name recognition and past history because they're always good and, and then they don't get it done. And, and Salisbury really hasn't gotten it done in the month of September. Not not just like losing to Wesley, for example, but losing 43 to five. You know, they, right. they just haven't haven't been good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when when teams reload and reload and reload for years and years, then you you have a, a, a tendency to believe that they could do it again. And, and, you know, so maybe for them, that'll be 2015 or maybe they're going to show up in force on Saturday at St. John Fisher. That should be an interesting game uh, one way or the other. Keith talked about Utica at Ithaca. Uh, Warburg is at Central, uh, you know, Central. Uh, if only Central hadn't lost to Monmouth, it'd been an interesting battle of the unbeatens. Uh, Worcester at Wabash, um, and, and oh yeah, uh, W and J hosts Thomas Moore. By the way, we were invited to that game. Uh, I had to tell them we couldn't make it. I just didn't have uh, a flight to Pittsburgh in my uh, uh, in my schedule for this week. It stinks too because it's a uh, seven seven p.m. kickoff, so it'd be under the lights. Pretty much the de facto pack championship. You know, some years Waynesburg is is pretty good, but they uh, I believe they lost on Saturday. So we pretty much got. Thomas Moore, which uh, was respectable in week one at Wesley and has been dominant since W&J, the team that's pretty much always at the top of the pack. It's the President's Athletic Conference, after all. Yes, it is. If you're looking for a a way to make a doubleheader out of that game, um, I would suggest maybe you look at uh, going to Ohio Wesleyan at Allegheny earlier that day. That's a prime game or a, a prime day where if you're a W&J fan, uh, go see another game in the afternoon. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Mountain Union isn't home. That's another uh, team that's not too far away. But that's a w- great way to get two games out of your weekend. Bridgewater hosts Shenandoah. That's a nice uh, nearby rivalry. St. Norbert at Cornell, a game we might never talk about otherwise. Um, but uh, Cornell has been uh, pretty decent since they moved back into the Midwest Conference. And then we mentioned that Rowan-Cortland game. Uh, that's happening this week. Yeah, great history in that one, but uh, I guess the NJAC is probably right in that group with the with the Empire Eight, where you just have no idea who's going to be good out of there. So uh, they'll give us a little bit of idea uh, this week when those two get together. I'm sure Keith will pick that game when Triple Take comes across your screen next Friday. But we got uh, around the nation coming up this week. Two columns, snap judgments from uh, Ryan, which you've already seen, or at least if you haven't, you can go back to the front page and look for it. His take on the games from Saturday, and then his column on Thursday. We'll have play of the week coming out on uh, Monday in the morning. So uh, uh, Tuesday in the morning, excuse me. So uh, coaches and SIDs, get us your nominations. Or if you're a fan that happened to have a really good clip of a play, we're okay with that. Nominations due by 5 p.m. Monday. And the folks at the Geico Play of the Week are, again, looking at our plays of the week for inspiration for their for their plays. So, um, you know, that's a chance to get you guys some really – uh, wide distribution on uh, on the great plays in Division Three, so make sure you uh, get your plays to us because we're kind of, I guess, not officially the feeder program for that. Uh, let's see, uh, around the region columns this week, uh, you you may know that there's a podcast. We do that. Um, you may be listening to it. Uh, and then Team of the Week nominations uh, for our weekly honor roll presented by Scott Ware due by 8 p.m. on a Monday evening. So he's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. That's the Around the Nation podcast, and we'll see you in another week.